What's up? This Life Ain't For Everybody audience. Thank you for being here. Excited about this one. The Resist All Roundup podcast series. Part of our This Life Ain't For Everybody family of offerings and brands. We're proud to be with Resist All. I love their hats, their felts, their straws, their shirts. So much more coming from the company that you're going to learn throughout the duration of this podcast, this conversation with the president of Resist All, Mr. Ricky Bolin. Ricky's a PRCA bull rider, competed back in the 80s, uh, went to the NFR, four-time qualifier for the national final rodeo, uh, lived the cowboy life his entire life, still does. He's still a team roper into his 60s. He's just an awesome individual, a great leader, and the success speaks for the sale. Since he's taken over reign of the Resist All brands and Hatco, um, Stetson, Resist All, you name it, Charlie One Horse. They've taken off, and uh, it's the proof's in the pudding, and this is a, a great man. We've learned a lot from him, and I'm proud to call him a friend and a business associate. Ricky Bolin, Resist All Roundup. He is the president of Resist All Cowboy Hats. You guys are going to love this. You ladies are going to love this. If you love rodeo, getting Western, this man lives it every day, and the motto at Resist All is they live it every day. Today's episode, obviously, is brought to you by our friends and family at Resist All Hats. I truly love wearing their hats all during the fall, the winter, the summer. It doesn't matter where we're at, lake life, scouting ducks, up at the lake. We're always in our resist all hats. We love living the cowboy lifestyle, the Western lifestyle, being in the country with our friends and family. There's nothing like it. Thank you, resist all. Today's episode is also brought to you by Cactus Ropes and Cactus Saddlery. If you're a roper, if you're a horseman, a horsewoman, you understand how important your saddle is, how important your rope is, whether you're a header, a healer in the team roping, a calf roper, or just out on the reins, running the hills, doing a roundup. You understand the importance of a good rope and a good saddle. That's why we rely on Cactus Saddlery and Cactus Ropes. We're a proud partner with both of their brands, and um, we're excited for the future. Look for Cactus Ropes, as well as our next presenting sponsor, the Helomatic. Check out every single product that Helomatic is offering. We use them while we're on the road all fall. They're fun. They're a great way to practice your roping skills. So for anybody interested or for the veteran in the roping arena, it's Helomatic. This episode is also brought to you by the one and only Jack Daniels. Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Enjoy it responsibly. Never, ever allow underage drinking. We're proud as heck to be partnered with the most iconic spirits brand in the history of the world. Every drop is made right there in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Sold in over 170 countries. The old number seven, the Gentleman Jack, the single barrel, the Frank Sinatra, the 10, the triple mash, the bonded, the Tennessee fire, the Tennessee apple, the Tennessee honey, you name it, the new Koi Hill. I love it all. I'm a huge fan of Jack Daniels, their image, their culture, their family, and especially their product and their dedication to perfection. Every single drop of whiskey made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Thank you, Jack Daniels. I hope you all enjoy the president of Resist All Hats, Mr. Ricky Bolin. This life ain't for everybody. Let's roll. Nice hat. <laughs> Thanks. Nice shirt. <laughs> yeah. I wear it all the time. Perfect. Went and saw a little uh, Eric Church concert last night. He was pretty good. Really? Put on a good show. Are you a country music fan big time? I assume you are. I am. I am. We, uh, of course, we do a lot of people like Garth and Cody and George and Alan Jackson. 
Yeah. That's but, the coolest. I think that, that crossover has always been cool. Back when uh, early, I don't know, mid-90s, I was playing baseball at UNLV. So, obviously, the NFR was in town every year at the Thomas and Mac and Tuff and Jim and Ty and everybody was at their peak, it seemed like, in that time frame. And all the country concerts that were going on, Ledoux was rocking it every night. But, they'd, you know, they'd bring in so many cool acts. They still do, obviously, during that 10 or 12 days that NFR is in Vegas. So. I love the crossover with rodeo and country music. Yeah. Yeah, I just got back from there. I was out there for the run for a million. Do you like Vegas? Uh-huh. Ended up having to drive home. Yeah, you told me about it. Is that because of the airlines or because of the weather? Uh, Yeah, both. But anyway, I made it. Flying has become very tough. Yes. It's, been a, it's like every trip I go on now, it seems like it's getting canceled. I know. I, I'm the same way. It's either canceled or it takes forever to get back. Postponed. I think you, I talked about Philadelphia. I was supposed to land in Dallas at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and landed at 2 o'clock at night. Wow, in the morning, huh? Yeah, we sat on an airplane for five hours in Tulsa, Oklahoma. On the runway? On the runway. Five hours? Yeah. They... Uh, when we got to Dallas, they said the weather was bad, so they wanted us to circle for an hour and a half. And we didn't have enough fuel, so they sent us to Tulsa to get fuel. We landed and sat there for five hours. Wouldn't let you out the plane? No. No freaking way. There were people that got off, but they couldn't get back on. So a lot of them, when they were past me, I seen their boarding passes because they had to have them with them to get off. And uh, a lot of them were going to Tulsa anyway. They were coming through Dallas to make a connection. So oh, bag later, I guess. I think anxiety would have kicked in for myself. Luckily, I don't do it very often, but luckily I booked first class and I was in the first seat when you get on the airplane and had a lot of leg room and so it it could have been worse, I'll put it that way. I just asked you a second ago, Ricky, you do you like Vegas as a as a destination? Do you like visiting Las Vegas or um, Yeah, do you... I do. I come out there probably three times a year. And uh, it's not bad. I wouldn't want to live there, but it's not has bad. It, has it? Do you feel it's changed? I mean, I know everything changes, but I, well, we're going to get into your career. But you're, it's changed a lot. Vegas is not like it used to be. When I'm there now, it's a completely different animal than it was in the '90s. Yeah, and then the first year they moved the NFR there was my last year to compete. And oh, really? It's 100 percent different now than what it was then. Let me guess the year they did that. Would that have been 90? 85. 85. Yeah. Where was it before that? Tulsa or was it somewhere in Oklahoma? OKC? Oklahoma City. Yeah, Yeah, it was in Oklahoma City. Uh, I don't remember the years, but I'm going to say from the 60s all the way up to 84. 84, and then it went to Vegas. So. So you were in the arena when Ledoux won the – did he win a world champion in, in Saddlebronk in, in Oklahoma City? or? Yeah, he won his world title in Oklahoma City. Did you know him? Yeah. Great guy. I did. It was funny. Uh, so back when – he rodeoed quite a long time before I got started. I got my card in 1975, and um, I remember him selling eight-track tapes at like Denver Rodeo. Uh, in different places, he'd have a booth set up and he'd be selling eight track tapes and he'd go ride his bareback horse and he'd come back. And, 
and uh, work his booth until every, you know the rodeo was over with. Um, and then when I started in this business, I've been in it for about two years, and me and the guy named Irving Joel, who owned the company at the time, opened up another store in Oklahoma City. And uh, Chris was playing there at Oklahoma City. So I got him to come to the store and sign autographs. And I had to go pick him up and drive him down the alley and sneak him in the back door. There were so many people out in the front. And we were talking about how times had changed since the time he was selling eight-track tapes. So it was pretty funny. So he, he is this after he was in the Garth Brooks song? Much yes. too young to feel this damn old because that really like blew him up when Garth said, "God bless Chris Ledoux." Huh? Worn out tape of Chris Ledoux, "Lonely Women," and yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, took him to the next level. Then they did five dollar fine on on one of Chris's albums. They did another duet there, and then I got to meet him and Ned. They'd come obviously they'd come to Nevada a lot in Vegas, but they'd come. I'm, I'm in northern Nevada, Reno Tahoe. We, you've been out here for our rodeo and, and Chris was always playing in this neck of the woods. So we got to meet him a few yeah. times. He was awesome. Yeah, he was a great guy. He, you know, for what I knew of him, like I say, it was, his career was pretty much, I think he won the world. 78, I think. Was it 78? I think so. I don't, I, I haven't researched in a long time, but something tells me that that was the year when I used to pay attention. Um, when I was really into, I mean, I'm still into his music, but I used to, Look him up and stuff like that. I'm gonna look real quick and see. I think it it was either 76 or 78. 78 was my first NFR. First NFR. Um, I want to get into that. That you were you were there as a bull rider, right? In 1976, Chris Ledoux won the World Bareback Riding Championship at the NFR in Oklahoma City. You were right, 76. Yeah. Man, I can't believe he's been passed away. For 17 years already. I know. It's unbelievable. Over 17 years already, Ricky. Gosh, dang it. That's crazy. So you're a bull rider when you're competing in the NFR and your, your, your PRCA career. How, how does that start? Explain to me, because I'm, I'm fascinated with bull riding. How big a guy are you, first of all? Well, at that point in time, I weighed 130 pounds. Now, I can honestly say there's 60 pounds of me that's never been on a bull. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. How t- how so? How tall are you when you're competing? You're are you are you are built like the bull riders are built today? No, well, yeah, more so today than I was back then. Like Donnie Gay and all, and Mike Bandy, Don Graham, all those guys were smaller guys. Don Graham and I were about the same size. Bandy and Donnie, especially, was pretty short. I'm gonna say Donnie's probably five six uh and i was five eight and like i say i weighed 100 and between 125 and 130 pounds biggest thing about me was my adam's apple back then <laughs> so, like about as far as you could get one five eight is kind of tall for a bull rider right or is that tall today as well or is that oh, kind of average today yeah it's kind of average today uh like tough he's taller than me uh lane frost was about the same size as i was uh, so they're, as the years have gone on, the guys have gotten bigger and taller. Some of them still short. Ted, uh, Sage Kimsey, he's pretty small, but, uh, there's a lot of them that's, you know, average about five, eight. Were you in the shoots in Cheyenne when Lane Frost? 
No, I got hurt that year. I tore a growing muscle and I turned out at Cheyenne. I was laying at home on the couch with ice on my growing when I got the phone call when he got killed. Terrible. That's pretty much what ended my career, though. Uh, I Are we taping now? Are yeah. We? Okay. Um, he, uh, when Lane got killed and I got the phone call, I was 30 years old. And I'd always told myself I wanted to retire when I was 30, but I just didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And uh, it just so happened that I'd been trading over here at our outlet store for years, buying my hats and stuff when I was rodeoing. And the guy, Gary Faulkner, that was running the store, told me he was going to move on to a different position and wanted to know if I would take that position. And he knew that I was, you know, wanting to quit when I was 30. And then, of course, he knew about Lane. So long story short, they offered me the position. And uh, I started in our outlet store and ran that for three years, along with the store in Oklahoma City. And then uh, the company ended up selling, and I went into outside sales as a sales rep for Stetson. And uh, I did that for about probably 15 to 16 years. And then I ended up taking over Resistol in the same territory. So I sold both brands. And then probably 15 to 18 years ago now, I got offered a position to come into the office as national sales manager. And I did that for five years. And I've been in this position uh, for probably close to nine years now. As the president of Hatco. Yeah. So real quick, before we go on to that, I want to, I want to stay on this, this Lane Frost deal. So when you made the comment that that pretty much ended your career, were you kind of like, well, should I continue? But then when that happens to land, you're like, that was, that was, that's all you needed to see for you to make your mind up that you were done bull riding. Yeah. Like I say, I wanted to quit when I was 30 and I was 30 at the time. I just didn't have, I didn't have another option at the time. And when Lane got killed, you know, we, we always knew that that happened, uh, but we never thought that it happened to professionals like we were. Um, you know, you heard about kids in high school and stuff like that, but people that did it for a living, it, it just didn't happen. And um, like I say, Lane was such a, you know, a big part of rodeo and everybody knew Lane and stuff. And so when it happened to him, I thought, man, I've, I had two young daughters. One was a year old at the time. Um, and I just thought it's time. So I ended up, uh, I let my growing heel up and I ended up getting on one more bull, which I pretty much started my career here at Mesquite Rodeo. And uh, I got on one more bull there at Mesquite and I was 89 points. And when my feet hit the ground, I just said, I'm done. That's it. And then uh, that's where my career started here. I quit in July of 89 and went to work for Hatco Resist All Stetson in August of 89. And your last ride was in 89. That's kind of cool. 89, yeah. 89. Um, it's pretty cool because Resist All used to be a sponsor of the Mesquite Rodeo. And um, the last bull I got on, not knowing that I had this job yet, uh, a picture still hangs in my office at home. And I'm riding this bull, and in the background is the Resist All uh, ad that they were sponsoring Mesquite Rodeo. So they had a billboard or a banner on the arena. Yeah. And that is was it the same fact. logo. Is it the same logo it is today? Yeah, same one. Let me ask you this about bull riding. When you're 20 years old and you're in Mesquite, Texas, 
it's just every day. That's what you do. You get on a bull, you're a cowboy, you're living that cowboy lifestyle. Now that you're at this age and you're watching rodeo still consistently, do you ever think like, what the hell was I thinking getting on one of these animals? Did that, does that ever cross your mind? Or are you like, I am so glad that I was a bull rider. Or do you thank your lucky stars that you didn't get really hurt? Because it's almost like not if it's when you're going to suffer a serious injury against one of these 1500 pounds. I, I consider them the greatest athlete in the world for what they're able to do with the, the size they are. I don't think there's another animal in the world that can do what a Brahma, like a, what a bucking bull does. But I know that there's lions and, and awesome animals in the wild, but as far as an athlete goes, I mean, do you ever look back at it and go, what the heck was I thinking? You know, Chad, I do all the time. And uh, sometimes I do wonder why I chose that, but I'm so glad that I did because there's no way I would be in this position today. Um, I actually had the opportunity and was uh, very, uh, I guess, excited or whatever when Neil Gay's family asked me to speak at his service uh, this past Tuesday, which is the reason I had to get back from Las Vegas. And, you know, I told the story at his service. If it wouldn't have been for Neil Gay, there's no way I would have been where I'm at today. And it's mainly because of his dreams of having the Mesquite Championship Rodeo. And I lived close to it. I was 10 years old. I lived in the city. I raced motorcycles. I had long hair. I just, you know, I wasn't a cowboy. Had nobody in my family that was a cowboy. And uh, I heard about the rodeo. And it just so happened the weekend that I went, they had a junior rodeo the next weekend. So I decided I wanted to enter the steer riding. And I did, and I just fell in love with the adrenaline rush of it. Um, there's another little town here close to us called Mansfield, Texas, which is where a lot of people uh, started their careers also. And it was just a jackpot bull riding buck out situation. Um, and I started going down there and then Neil started buying what we call a bunch of green bulls. He brought them in from Louisiana. They'd never seen a human before they were gathered to get on a truck to bring them up here. And a bunch of us kids, he invited us up there to get on these bulls. And uh, they were big 1,800-pound rentals with horns as long as my arms. And that's basically kind of where I started. Um, Neil and Pete and Donnie kind of, you know, I guess saw something and just took me under their wing and um, – kind of coach me and then of course when i started rodeo and i traveled with donnie pretty much my whole career i did travel with some other people but off and on donnie and i traveled together a lot so anyway that's kind of what started my whole career but just watching neil gay and uh, you know how hard he struggled um to make things work up there because it wasn't the easiest challenge by no means um and so at his service the other day, I talked about how they took me under their wing and basically taught me how to rodeo and, you know, the riding, luckily it was, uh, I was kind of natural at it, I guess. Um, I was just, settled, you know, it, it just seemed to fit me. And, uh, I started winning pretty quickly after I started riding. And, uh, so that part of it was, you know, good, but there's a lot more to rodeo and than just being able to ride. And that was the things that, you know, the gay family basically taught me. Um, but then after I retired, I, when I got this position here at ATCO, 
with the outlet store or any position that I've been in, I always remembered the way Neil and, and even my dad, you know, ran their companies and did their business. And it made me have that drive um, that I collected from the rodeo business and take it on into this industry, which was very easily actually, because as long as you shook a man's hand, looked him in the eye and told him something, then you you move forward because uh, a lot of the people that's in our industry in the Western Wear side of it uh, were rodeo people and they had the same type of attitude and stuff that that I did and uh, you know it just made it a lot easier for me and then of course people kind of knew who I was because my territory was here pretty much in the Dallas Fort Worth and Oklahoma area so most of the people that I dealt with knew me uh, already from my rodeo career so it made the door a lot easier to walk through and a lot easier to uh, do the things that I did because people trusted me. When you talk about that trust and you talk about the influence of Mr. Gay, rest in peace. I, 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 what a great life and what an inspiration he was to so many cowboys and cowgirls and a, a great family man. Is it automatic in rodeo Ricky Boland that it becomes a generational thing like ranching and farming does it seems to me in america that when you start thinking about family businesses i know a lot of entrepreneurs that might own a car lot that might own a construction company to where their kids don't necessarily just jump right into it they might go and they 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 might try to figure out something on their own but the generational part of farming and ranching and rodeo seems almost automatic to me is this fair to say to where like and, and personally with your family did it automatically happen to where it it, it stays in the family once it's there well, you know, I don't have anybody uh, in my family. My, I have two daughters, three granddaughters. Uh, none of them were really interested in rodeo, and they played all the other sports. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure if I would have had a son, uh, you know, he probably would have gotten to rodeo. But it's it's kind of like, you know, I talked to Tuff and I are still very close friends, and, of course, he's got all boys, and, and none of them rodeo. He's got two smaller ones now, so they may. But, you know, it's the thing about rodeo, Rodeo is, is I don't think anybody ever pressures their dad. I mean, there's kids to um, to rodeo or, um, you know, to follow their footsteps. It's all up to them. And I think that's one of the great things about rodeo. There's not a lot of pressure there when it comes to that. Uh, not just because I did it, you have to do it. You know, it's up to you whether you want to do it. If you want to do it, I'm 110% behind you. But uh it, it doesn't just automatically carry on. Do you today still love the smell of the arena, the, the, the sound of Bob Tallman's voice or whatever announcers in the arena at the time? Do you love being behind the shoots? Do you, because a lot of times you hear Mr. Ricky that when you work in what you love, sometimes that passion goes away when it becomes a job and you've always made your revenue and your livelihood on a horse, on a bull. Now you're with the president of Hatco, which is another big time Western and rodeo company. And, and, and I know that it's got a lot more reach than that, but it is known around the rodeo arenas in our country and the world. Does it ever, is it still mean the same to you today? And do you still love rodeo the same as you did 35, 40 years ago? I do. You know, I uh, unfortunately, I don't go to very many rodeos. I go to the NFR for sure every year. 
Uh, I think I have been to the NFR every year uh, since I quit rodeoing. Um, of course, with our company and being one of the major sponsors of the PRCA, um, we're very much involved. And, you know, anytime we negotiate deals with the PRCA or whatever, it's uh, pretty much everybody knows that it's near and dear to my heart because I wouldn't be sitting in this chair today if it wasn't for rodeo, especially PRCA rodeo. Uh, so it, you know, it, it does reflect back and I, I do love it. I just don't get to go to as many as I used to. Is that just because the, the daily the daily operations of the job and, and what your duties and responsibilities are, or, or do you choose not to be at rodeos because you have the grandkids, you have the daughters, you have your family and that rodeo lifestyle of like that kind of was showcased in the movie, eight seconds of the guys being in the, the, the station wagon and living that cowboy life from town to town. I mean, sometimes you're rodeo in two to three different towns a week depending on the schedule so is it because of that that you got tired of the road and now you're more apt to just staying at home yeah and the fact that we're just so busy doing other things too um you know to keep me from going to the rodeo like here at mesquite rodeo of course neil uh they haven't owned that rodeo in probably 20 years now and i think i've been up there a couple of times i do have a nephew uh monty hence is my brother-in-law and it's his son uh, they rodeo. He has two boys and both of them rope calves and bulldog and stuff. So I, if they were entered at Mesquite, I would go up and watch them. But just to go to a rodeo and watch it, um, I just don't do it hardly anymore. What has replaced it besides work? Well, team roping. I still team rope a lot. And, you know, like this next weekend, I'll be going to a team roping in Hamilton, Texas. So most of the time, if I, if I don't have something work related, uh, I'm at a team roping or something like that. Plus, we sponsor so many team ropings. Uh, we sponsor the World Series and the USTRC, and uh, so I used to. Tr- I usually try to go to those events as much as possible. Do you, Do you find at this point in your career that your competitiveness is still as high as it ever was when you were climbing on the back of a bull? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I. I started team roping for a hobby, um, but over the last several years, when I've gotten to where I can do it more, uh, I am very competitive at it. Now, the difference is, is I don't have to win. Um, of course, you have a partner, and he's putting up money also, so I want to win as much as I possibly can. But if uh, if I don't, it's not the end of the world like it used to be when I was riding bulls for a living, and that was you know the income that I had. Uh, so I am still very competitive. I don't like to lose at anything I do. Um, that's why I hate golf because <laughs> I'm not good at it. I, I couldn't agree more. And I can't figure out why that little white ball is so hard to control, but it Crazy. is for me anyway. Do me a favor real quick. And just in your opinion, rank the, the difficulty level or what it is hardest to be consistently successful at in rodeo i've always wondered is bull riding the hardest because calf roping and team roping seems very very difficult to be consistently good and have your timing on it and i the teams that qualify the prca world finals and the nfr every year and and then win and and the guys that have that have won eight nine world titles it's amazing to have that much pressure on you and to be able to to back those world titles up and defend them but what are the toughest event because even barrel racing is 
got to be so difficult to be on that horse going that fast and maneuver and to be milliseconds, you know, from your competitor and, and to, to, to be out of the money. And so what would you say, Mr. Ricky, what, what, what would your opinion be on the difficulty if you can answer that? Well, I think team roping would be one of the toughest because you are dealing with more, you know, components there to, to make them all work. Um, you got a partner, of course, uh, to where if you're a riding event guy and the bull riding, the saddle bronc or bareback riding, it's basically you and the animal. So if you've got a good bull or a horse and you screw him up, you, you can only blame one person and that's you. Um, you know, to where if you're in a team roping, you got a partner, you know, you may be roping good, your partner may be having bad days. So, you know, that that's going to be a tough situation there. And then of course in the barrel racing, uh, most of those girls, you know, I mean, they've got that horse and they have a hundred percent confidence in that horse, especially if they're doing it for a living. So it's them and, and the horse. And a lot of times if they hit a barrel or something like that, it's the rider, it's not the horse. It's the way they control the horse. So again, it's their fault, not the animal's fault. So, but level of difficulty, you're going on record of saying team roping is the hardest in rodeo. I don't know if it's the hardest. It's just, it may be one of the hardest events to win, like I say, because there's two people involved. To where all the other events, it's just you, you and the animal. Um, to where team roping, like I say, you've got a partner and you both have to be clicking and um, at the same time in order to be a, a three-second flat run or a four-second flat run. So there's, there's a lot more things that could go wrong there than a lot of the, in the other events. I got it. If you could go back and change that day you chose bulls, would you change anything about your rodeo career? And I know that you gave it credit to where you're sitting at now, which makes total sense, but do you wish that you were competing in the NFR in another event besides bull riding, looking back at it? I don't think so. I really don't, you know, um, I didn't start team roping until I quit rodeoing, riding bulls. Um, but I mean, bull riding to me is, you know, a bareback rider probably going to say the same thing or a saddle bronc rider. It's, it's that thrill. It's that adrenaline rush. Uh, and that's what gave me those things. Uh, I did ride bareback horses for a while, not professionally, but I did when I was in high school and amateurs and actually won my first nice buckle in the bareback riding but it just did not um it didn't it didn't affect me the way that riding a bull did um you know i didn't have the adrenaline rush i didn't have the, as much want to or drive to ride a bareback horse as i did a bull as things change in athletics and that you've seen it through the years with weight rooms nutrition programs um how people can get in shape now stay in shape the programs the the regimens of a college football team or even high school football i mean when i was playing football in, in high school it's completely different than going into a weight room now and seeing what these kids have to be able to be successful and to get what we called back then bigger faster stronger in your opinion mr ricky bowen has the animal changed? I know a lot of this has to do with genetics and breeding. Has the animal changed when those cowboys and cowgirls are getting on the on these animals now? And let's just stay with the, the bareback, the saddle bronc, and the bulls. Are are we seeing a more a harder animal to ride today than it was back in the eighties, nineties? I'll answer that question this way, Chad. I think there was just 
as many, there wasn't as many rank bulls. There wasn't as many rank bareback horses or saddle bronc horses because of the breeding programs that you just talked about as there is today, back when I was riding. There were a lot of ranked animals, but to, in today's time, there's hundreds times more because of the breeding programs. Uh, you know, we used to call it a drawing contest uh, because you would go to a rodeo, let's say that Neil Gay or Harry Bolt or Cotton Ross or anybody put on, and they would have 10 to 15 rank bulls. And then the rest of them would just be mediocre. Well, if you drew one of those rank bulls, then you're for sure going to win something if you're riding. In today's world, it's not a drawing contest, uh, you know, because if there's 15 bulls bucking in a night, especially like at a PBR, they're bred to do that. And every one of them, you could probably win first on, you know, if you ride him correctly. So there's more rank animals today than there were back when we were riding. Were the bulls just as rank as they are today? Yes. But I think that there's more of them today. So you'd be irritated as heck, almost a little bit PO'd if you get to a rodeo and you, 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 you care about your well-being, you care about your safety and your health. And some people might be like, well, man, I hope I don't draw bodacious today. But you, you're telling yourself, if I'm going to be in the money, I got to get on one of these bulls that can buck me off and hopefully I stay on eight seconds. That was the mentality, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, you always wanted that one that, well, I won't say that nobody else wanted, but you wanted those ones that was hard to ride. And you knew you, if you did good, you were going to win something. In the money is when you, when you start talking about being in the money and winning something on a bull, how, how much does it parlay into when I, what I just mentioned about the health part of it, Ricky, as far as you really do want to be in the money, that's how you're making your living. But do you ever put the safety and the health before it? Was there ever an opportunity to do that? Or if you drew that bull, you had to get on him, no matter what that bull's reputation is, no matter how, if he's ever been ridden, there's a lot of bulls that they say go 10 years without being ridden sometimes. Is Did you ever put that first and say, I'm not getting on that bull because of his reputation? Uh, not really. I mean, there was a couple back then that was really noted to jerk people down and hit them in the face. And of course, Back then, we didn't have helmets. We didn't have vests, all the protective gear that they've got today. And, um, you know, even even those types of bulls, like it was hard to even win something on them if you rode them um, for the most part, just because they didn't really buck that hard. They just they had a trick about them that would jerk you down. And, of course, um, the one bull that I'm thinking about, his number was 15X. and uh, he, he, yeah, he was just very well known to jerk people down and hit them in the face, but then he may not buck hard enough to even place on. So I'd probably turned that bull out seven or eight times uh, and then ended up having him one year at the NFR. He had an exceptional year and they took him to the NFR. Uh, actually, I had him the first year I made the NFR in 1978. And you, but you had, you had turned him out seven or eight times. This bull yeah. had that reputation. And I still have my teeth. So he, he didn't get me. <laughs> did you ever, did you ever wear one like that where you come down while he's coming up? Yeah, not too often. I only had, uh, I had 
two bulls jerked me down and hit me in the chin and bust my chin open. Uh, but that was in the latter part of my career. Why, what is the fascination with rodeo in your opinion? And to, in the 2022, our rodeo was sold out every night. Is it because it is the ultimate action sport to where you're going to see something that awes you that night? Because when you go to a rodeo, it's pretty much the same thing every night, right? You have, it goes in the same order. You might have a little halftime event with a monkey that's riding a, a, a remote control car. You got a guy jumping on motorcycles this year at the Reno Road. You have that. But for the most part, it's pretty much the same thing every night. In your opinion, Ricky, what is the fascination with America when it comes to seeing these cowboys and cowgirls get on these animals that's been so famous, for so popular for so long? Well, I think with all the Western movies and different things that's going on in our world today and, uh, you know, people go back to roots and their grandfather might have been involved in rodeo or their, you know, he might have been a farmer, just a cowboy, uh, a ranch cowboy, and maybe not a rodeo cowboy. Uh, and then, of course, like I say, with Yellowstone and all the different events going on today in movies and then people, whether they admit it or not, when they go to a rodeo, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they like to see somebody get hurt, but you know, you're riding an 1800 pound bull or a 1400 pound bronc, you know, and more than likely you're going to see somebody hit the ground pretty hard or get hit in the head or something's going to happen throughout one of those performances of that rodeo. Uh, it's, it's just a proven fact that, you know, this is one of the roughest sports there is in the world as far as I'm concerned. How talented, and in your opinion, Ricky Bowen, are bullfighters and what they do? Because a lot of people be like, ah, you know, they're just driving and juking a little bit. But I mean, I've seen, there, there's even a new event that I saw for the first time this year, and you know more about rodeo than I ever will, and you know when, how long this has been around. But they even brought out the chutes and put together the corral in the, inside the arena after the bulls were gone, after the fireworks went off. And now they're letting these guys get in there and releasing a bull into this, you know, this squared off little, sh this, you know, corral area, and they're getting the heck beat out of them. And I yeah. just, I, I could barely watch it. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's not even smart to put yourself in harm's way like that. But in your career, how important are these fellas that get, and they're athletes. I mean, they are trained athletes. They are doing an um, amazing job. How important are they and how, how good are they at what they do to keep the bull rider safe? Well, they're, they're everything. Um, you know, I can think of numerous times where a bullfighter stepped in like a skipper boss, or Rob Smets, and back in my day, um, that saved me hundreds of times, thousands of times, you know, because one thing I will say back when I was rodeoing, that we did have a lot more bulls that liked to fight and hook people. Um, and I know they still have them today, but, you know, a lot of the stock contractors back then, that was part of what they look for when they were looking at bucket bulls does he fight you know because you were talking about the people and being interested uh and in coming to the rodeo and you know like at reno if if somebody goes to every performance i mean that's what they look for they look for those exciting moments when a, a bullfighter's fighting a bull or a bull rider gets bucked off and a bullfighter saves him you know and the you know you you see these guys all the time the bullfighters getting their legs broke arms broke necks broke whatever protecting the bull rider and that's their job and uh it's funny you know the other day i saw skipper voss who 
I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but in my opinion, he was one of the best bullfighters ever in the world. And he could basically be in a six foot square and fight the baddest bull there was ever. You know, just the way he moved, he just made them look stupid. Uh, and then, I mean, there was hundred drops mats. I mean, all kinds of people that's, uh, you know, that's been in that position that's saved so many bull riders in their careers from ending earlier than they wanted them to. When you, when you start talking about like the minor leagues of baseball or you have college football and then you get drafted into the NFL, is there, is there things that cowgirl cowboys and cowgirls can do to become him, to become a bullfighter, to be, are there schools for this? Are there minor leagues for this? I know that there's high school rodeo and I know that there's college rodeo, but is there a learning process besides just getting in and doing it? Can I can I go to the Ricky Bolin School of Bull Riding and even learn how to put my my ass on the on the back of a bull and and how to how to wrap up and do all of the things that it takes to get started? Or is that just self learned in an arena somewhere in a small town in Texas? No, there's there's a lot of guys today, and even back when I was doing it, Donnie Gay and I used to put on a lot of riding schools, uh, and like I say, there's still a lot of guys that do it today. Uh, and that's where they pretty much learn. You know, back when we were having schools, we would rather somebody come to the school that hadn't hardly ridden at all, more so than somebody that had ridden that was just coming to, you know, say went to a Donny Gay riding school or my school or whoever's, you know, uh, because if you've got somebody that wants to learn, they're a lot easier to teach than somebody that may have been riding for four or five years and think they know everything, they're just coming to, you know, say that they went to that school. So I could take somebody that probably that had athletic ability and work with them for, you know, a few days and they would, I'm sure, have all the basics of what they needed to do when they left. If I had them for three days or any bull rider, I like to say I hadn't been on one since 1989, but the fundamentals are still the same. It's just like throwing a football or anything, you know, so you, you have the fundamentals for the rest of your life, like riding a bicycle. You not ride a bicycle for 10 years and get on it and go, you know, so I still have all the knowledge. It's just, you know, there's no way I could do it today. I don't think, but uh, the fundamentals are basically the same. If I knocked on your door, came down there and I got to visit the factory and I followed you home one night and I said, Ricky, I'm 47 years old. I want to ride a bull when I'm 50. I've played college baseball. I got some athletic ability. I can dribble a little bit. I can throw some hands at a, at a heavy bag. I got pretty good boxing form. Would you look at me and say, Chad, get the heck out of my yard. I don't even want you to consider riding a bull at 50. I mean, is this something that you would tell me? Because I know a guy that did this. Okay. I don't, I don't know if he's staying on it very long, but he did it at 70. Mm. What wasn't a rank bull. What would you tell me? Would you say like, dude, no, you're not getting on this bull. I mean, the chances of me getting hurt are pretty high, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, even though, I mean, I feel like I'm still pretty athletic, but uh, at our age, unfortunately, there's just certain things you don't need to be doing, and that would definitely <laughs> be at the top of the list. <laughs> like the very top. Huh? Like, I would never jump out of a perfectly good airplane, Ricky Bull, and I, I mean, wouldn't do it. I, I just mean, won't do it. I mean, there's guys, you know, <laughs> I hate to keep going back to team roping, but that's what I do now. And I'll be 64 in November and I plan on roping until I'm 
whenever 70s uh i know guys it's in their 80s it's still rope um you know as long as you can be competitive and stuff so that's a different event um that you can do it you know the late age in your life there's a lot of people that don't even start roping until they're 50 years old have you competed in the bfi i assume the answer to that's an easy answer uh, i have in the amateur side of it not the professional side of it i actually won it uh you got the buckle on 2019 <laughs> was that in reno uh-huh is that the only place the bfi is in reno during the reno rodeo no. or are there other ones are there other well, sanctioned events be. It used to be until COVID, and the years that they had to cancel the Reno Rodeo, they ended up moving the BFI to Oklahoma City or Guthrie, Oklahoma. And uh, now, uh, from what I understand, that's going to be the new home of it. Really? Uh, yeah. I think they're going to have some ropings during the Reno Rodeo. Uh, well, I know they will, but the official BFI will be in Guthrie. I, I believe that's true. I'm not 100%. Now, I made a comment 30 minutes ago that I believe that buck and bulls are the greatest athletes. But now you bring up a great point or a, a thought in my mind of how awesome these horses are that start and stop when you tell them to um, just the things that a horse can do. And I'm not even talking about bucking horses. I'm talking about what you get on in a team roping event or a calf roper or a barrel racer. Are these bet? Are these amazing animals? Are they trustworthy? What does the relationship have to be with your horse, Mr. Ricky Bull? And like, I, 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 I don't have experience with a horse and I'm going to be completely transparent here. I don't find them very trustworthy when I'm around them. I kind of get that weird feeling when I'm around them. I don't know why I just have heard stories and I've been around enough ranching and enough farming to know that horses scare me a little bit. Is that fair to say, should I be scared of a horse because they can become unwound a little bit or are they a very trusting animal and want some of the greatest athletes that you that you think are on earth yeah i mean they really are and it depends on the horse you know like i have one that uh you know i'm an amateur roper i have one that i would trust i would put you on him i would put my granddaughter on him uh he's bomb proof if there is such a thing as a bomb proof horse he's not a horse that a you know a guy that does it for a living is going to go out and win on i can win on him but you know he's not fast enough or quick enough for what those guys do the guys that rodeo for a living uh you know most of their horses are pretty calm um after, before they start roping on them and stuff uh, because they go to so many different events with all kinds of stuff going on with you know music and people and stuff so for the most part if they're a horse that you know, a barrel racer or a team roper or a calf roper is competing on, they're more than likely pretty gentle or uh, they've had a lot of experience about being around loud noises and stuff. So they, it, all in all, though, they are a trustworthy animal once you've developed that relationship and that rapport with them? For the most part. Like I say, there, there's ones it's not. Um, I, I know guys that rope on horses that have so many different hangups they you know you can't tie them to a trailer or you can't tie them up to a fence because they go nuts and they run backwards and break their halters or break their reins or something a lot of horses have a lot of uh quirks i guess you would call it uh but it, is it something that's dangerous to you or somebody that's around them most of the time not how fast can you go on a horse do you know, do you have that in your back pocket of what a top speed? I, I'm not talking about the the Kentucky Derby, but when you're in the rodeo arena 
they're not as long as a track, obviously, but what do you know some of the speeds that a barrel racer or a calf roper will get up to on a horse? You know, I really don't. Um, I just know that there's some that I care nothing about getting on because they're so fast, you know? <laughs> And it just another, seems like you're so high off the ground and I don't yeah. know why I have this weird feeling about doing it, but it's, it's just always been that, that kind of like jumping out of an airplane or getting on a bull. It's just like a horse. I've never really wanted to get on one. I don't, maybe I need to do that by the time I'm 50 and just trot around a little bit. Well, if you're around me at the, somewhere and I got my horse, I've got the perfect one for you. You do. Yeah. Would you, would you let me trot off on my own or would you hold the reins and just walk uh, me around the arena? Probably a little bit at first. I'd probably walk around with you, but then after that, like I say, he's he's pretty. If there is a bombproof horse, he would be that one. All right, let's move on because I I could talk. I literally would talk your ear off if I when I meet you in person, and I would I would talk rodeo with you twenty four seven. I I love rodeo, and I'm and you're probably like Chad. Let's talk about duck hunting. I'm tired of talking about rodeo. I don't, you know, just the, that that kind of deal. But Hatco. This company has some awesome brands in its umbrella. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we have Resist All, Charlie Horse, which is a female line of cowboy, just awesome design hats, Stetson, Helomatic, Cactus Ropes, Cactus Saddlery. Is this all of them or am I missing one? No, under our umbrella, as far as hat coat goes. So I'll go back through them. We have Resist All, we have Stetson, we have Charlie One Horse. Then we also have uh, fedoras, which is a Stetson dress hat. Then we have Dobbs, which is another dress hat. Uh, then we also have an apparel line, shirt line. Uh, we're fixing to introduce a boot line. And then we're also fixing to introduce a leather coat line. Uh, under Resist All or under other names? Under Resist All. Oh, wow. And all nice. of those are under this umbrella. And then uh, Pro Equine, which is our sister company they have helomatic uh cactus ropes fastback ropes and cactus salary so cactus ropes comes along first or cactus is it both the the same own the same guy comes up with salary and and ropes at the same time and you yes, guys dennis carroll dennis carroll owns the company now he lives in california uh he I, I believe the first company he bought in our industry was cactus ropes Cactus Cactus Salary, and um, then Fastback, and then Helomatic. And how long have you been friends with Mr. Dustin? Uh, Dustin and I started being friends in probably 2004. So, wow. Uh, We go on a ride in California. It's called Rancho's Vistadores. Yep. And that's where I met him at. And Dustin was actually in the wine business at that time. And um, I, we were going to hire him as a sales rep for California. And the gentleman that was out there decided to stay and had been with the company for a long time. Anyway, long story short, he stayed with the company. So Dennis or uh, Dustin ended up going to work for Dennis on his ranch and managing his ranch and then has worked his way up uh, to COO of all the companies now. Good guy. Yeah. It's kind of a. Uh sweet guy like i think dustin you know him better than i do but he's he's a nice guy he's dustin's a uh very unassuming just because he's so like nonchalant in my opinion but man he's just seems like such a good dude yeah, every time i'm around him. Back and quiet and he doesn't say a lot so 
so talk talk to me about you we talked about your your career and your competitiveness and now you transition that into where you're sitting right now what is your everyday feeling about the quality the the customer service the product that's being put forth every time i go into a rodeo arena i see that brand i see it on the flag as the girls ride it around the arena to start the rodeo or during intermission of the rodeo how much pride do you take in that hat that's on your head and every single resist all which i wish we could get into the numbers because it blows my mind how many hats you guys sell through hatco how much of ricky boland's just that passion that competitiveness that desire to never cut corners that western you know that that work ethic it's that's what we're put on earth to do is work and i know that's how you were raised and i know that's how how you've built your career i can tell just by talking to you and learning about you reading about you hearing about you is it every day that you put that pressure on yourself to perform and make sure that this company is putting out the best product daily? Definitely. Um, I think that was one of the things that turned the company around and I'm not, not going to sit here and bash anybody, you know, that's been in my position in the past, but uh, myself and the gentleman that was here prior to me uh, have, were the only two people that I'm aware of in the 30 four years that I've been here that actually wore a hat every day. Uh, and, but they wore, we wore a hat because I've worn a hat since I was three years old. Uh, you know, and then of course, when I started rodeo and it was definitely every day, but it's like, you know, we, I have a passion for this. And when this management team took over nine years ago, when Dennis Carroll bought the company, I knew that our number one challenge was quality. Um, with past people that have been in my positions, cut corners, um, you know, looking at the bottom line, um, they weren't rodeo people. They were just businessmen that didn't really understand our business. And the Western world, world, no matter what anybody says, is a very unique world. And if you have the trust of people, um, you know, and, and they know that, then you're going to go a lot further in this industry than any other industry. Um, I I think that our industry has changed a lot over the last several years. There is a lot of corporate companies. Uh, you could call us a corporate company, I guess, but we're still old-fashioned. And I'm not saying that anybody else's product is not good. I don't mean that by no means, but uh, it's a lot different now than when I first started, just like the rodeo business. It was a lot different now than when I first started. Um, so it's times change, but no matter who you are, what you are, if you don't put out a good product, you're not going to last very long. And I think that we have gained the trust of our retailers, our end consumers back. And they know when they purchase our product, whether it be a retailer or end consumer, they know that they're getting, you know, one of the best products on the market today. When you say that with such confidence, can you describe to our listeners, Mr. Ricky Bowen, why resist all? What? Why is that hat? What, first off, they're an affordable hat. Okay, you're wearing straw. I'm wearing a straw hat that I'm. Gonna, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is about a hundred and fifty dollar hat that I'm wearing. Is that right? Uh, close. It's probably a hundred and seventy now, just because of COVID and all the restraints on raw materials and. We've had tons of price increases over the last two years. Last year, we had over a million dollar price increase in the first two months of the year. 
So ended up being five million last year just in raw material costs that went up. Um, so like I say, our our price points are, have changed drastically, not because we you know wanted to, it's because we were forced to. I think we were one of the only companies we held out on our five million dollar price increases until the end of last year, and then we finally had to uh, raise our prices and stuff. But we we have approximately six hundred and fifty employees here between our two factories uh, in Garland, Texas, is our finishing factory, Longview, Texas, is our body factory, which we make all of our fur felt bodies from a six X quality above, and we're the only hat company in the world that does that. Uh, so we know when it comes to saying it's a 6X or a 10X or a 30 or 100, whatever it is, we know that for a fact because we build our own hat bodies. We have our own fur mixtures, whether it be rabbit fur, beaver fur, chinchilla, whatever the fur mixtures are, we know exactly what they are because we mix them all to where other hat companies have to purchase their bodies from overseas and uh, they're not exactly sure what their fur mixtures are again i'm not knocking anybody else's product it's just an advantage that we have in layman's terms what makes a good cowboy hat the structure the quality the the shape the 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 longevity of it what makes a good cowboy hat to where i go into a store and i'm like i'm buying this resist all because it's got this 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 and this checked off the list well, it's the tightness of the fur, which I say we have control over that because we make our own bodies. Do we ship out some stuff that we're not proud of? Sure, because we produce right now, we're producing about 6,500 hats a day. Um, wait, 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 wait. 6,500, uh, that includes all, all those lines that you mentioned 10 minutes ago? Yes. 6,500 a day. Yeah, we, you know, our, of course, our biggest business is Western. Uh, dress is really picked up uh, over the last several years, but uh, the majority of it is a Western style hat. But it's the fur mixtures. Um, I always call 6X quality our bread and butter, uh, which is what we sell the most of, you know, for the average consumer. A 6X hat, if somebody buys it, it's around $250 to $280, but that hat will last them basically forever if they take you know, good care of it. Um, and then of course, on a higher qualities, people, you know, that wear a 20 X and stuff, they have numerous hats. So they have different colors and shapes and stuff like that. So a lot of people, you know, they, they may buy a 20 X hat, but they wear a hat every day. So they may have three or four black hats and three or four silver bellies and different colors that they wear. Um, but they always know that we stand behind our quality you know, and there's little things too, Chad, like um, one of the things that had been done when I took over this position, they were trying to cut costs and they put a less expensive sweatband in a hat. Well, to me, that needs to be a very high quality because that's the first thing that somebody feels when they put it on their head, especially a new consumer. And if it doesn't feel comfortable, they don't like it right at the beginning. So we have to have a Roan uh, leather sweatband that's comfortable on their head that feels good when they first put it on. Uh, and then, of course, we shape everything. If we sell it, we shape everything to match a person's face or their shoulder width. And a lot of detail goes into it, a lot of customer service. And that's basically what we do. When you Will you describe what you mean by X? Because 
you see a 6x hat that you just mentioned for 250 280 then you can get up to a 30x how high do they go and what is that x factor what does that mean well it's it depends on the fur you know like i say we use rabbit fur and it could be there's different kinds of rabbit fur the belly fur of a rabbit is the best fur because of course if you think about it common sense tells you it's on the ground and it's the toughest part of a rabbit especially when it's cold if they're in the snow which we buy a lot of our furs out of you know cold climates um so it's the thickest part and that's the better fur uh so they grade the fur to where they're if if it's on the back or whatever and and a lot of our six x's most of our six x's are the better quality rabbit fur uh and then the higher the x's the more you get into a higher quality rabbit beaver uh chinchilla uh that's probably the three main components that we use and so the higher the fur so the belly fur on a rabbit will obviously be different x factors but if it's a really good fur that come out of the cold climate it's probably going to get a higher rating when it comes to that x rating yeah because it's a thicker fur and it and it intertwines with itself a lot better uh because we don't use any glues or anything it's like a it's like a big um that i guess you would say that we dump our fur into and it tumbles it tumbles the bad fur out goes out the bottom uh and then all the better fur mixes together and intertwines together so there's no glues or anything made um or used when we make our bodies so we're going to end this with just one one i get one option i got i want to buy the hat of a lifetime I want to look good. I want it to last. What do you What do you recommend to me, Mr. Ricky Bowen? You You're the president of Hatco, and I come to you. I have an inside track to you. I mean, I have your cell phone number. I get to text you and say, "I need the best hat that I possibly can get." What do you say, Chad? We're going to send you this, and this is what you're going to owe us. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say, Chad. I mean, it depends on what you're going to do with it. If you're if you're you know, like a lot of the rodeo cowboys wear our black gold 20X. Uh, that's what George Strait started in. That's what George Strait still wears. Uh, George Strait's the one that made that hat famous just because that was the hat of his choice. And when he first started his career, that's what we sent him. And he stuck with it, you know, his whole career and his whole life. Do we send him 100Xs and stuff like that? Sure. But uh, his number one hat of choice is a black gold. 20x. Uh, we sell a tremendous amount of 30x's. We sell a, sell a tremendous amount of 100x's. So it's it's just based upon what you're going to do in it. Like this particular straw I have in on. Um, if we go back to straws, I wouldn't rope or compete or anything in this hat. It's very delicate. It's a very tight woven hat. Uh, but the hat you have on is more of a comp- competition type hat. Uh, you wear every day and you know, on a ranch or whatever you're doing, that hat would fit in anywhere. You you could wear it with a sport coat or whatever. Uh, like I say, this one's more of a dress type hat. But back in the fur felts, uh, it's all a personal preference of, of really what you feel comfortable in and your price point. I mean, our highest uh, selling hat as far as price point goes is what we call a Diamante. And it's a Stetson. And it retails for five thousand dollars. It has a uh, a buckle set on it. It's 
14 karat gold, three quarter karat diamonds. Uh, it comes with a hand tooled leather case, but it's a dress hat. It's not something that, you know, somebody would go out and ride a bull in or whatever rodeo in. Uh, it's more of a dress type hat. Five grand. Five grand. And we saw a lot of. Wow. An average, I'd say an average cost, you know, on a upper quality hat is going to be somewhere between 600 and and $1,000. Do I sound ignorant that I had no idea that that many people in America or the world buy cowboy hats? That blows my mind. 6,500 times 365. I don't, I'm not very good at math, but that's, hold on a second. I want to make sure that I, I want to make sure that I'm following you, Mr. Iggy, because 6,500 times 365 minus week. Are you guys a seven day a week factory? Six days. 2,372,500 cowboy hats from Hatco. And that's just what we make here. (laughs) 2.3 million. I had no idea that this many cowboy hats were being bought in our country. Is this, is it, is it worldwide? It, let, let's, is it mainly America? Is it mainly the continental United States that's buying these yeah. hats? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, and, but those numbers too, Chad, that 6,500 number is double in most cases and tripled in some areas uh, from what we were doing five years ago. Uh, wow. For the last, probably seven years, our company has just been climbing and climbing and climbing. And last year, uh, 2015, we had the best year in the history of the company and we doubled it, almost tripled it last year. Uh, And this year we're ahead of that. Uh, And then like right now, if a retailer called to order fur felt hats, we would be a year out before we could produce those hats. That's our backlog. Even if it's an existing dealer that's been your bread and butter for years, you're talking about a new dealer. Uh, Well, we haven't opened up a new account in two and a half years. So this is our existing dealers that we deal with on a day in and day out basis. Uh, And because we have such a a backlog in our orders. And then of course we had issues with uh, raw materials, not so much fur as much as other components. Uh, but on the average, prior to those years, we were averaging about three to 3,500 hats a day. We started a second shift in every factory we have, including our shipping department, uh, almost three years ago, with the exception of a little short time uh, during COVID when we had to shut down for seven weeks, which is another thing I'd like to mention about this company. Um, when COVID hit at its worst and we had to shut down, we mainly had to shut down because of raw material issues, not having enough, and we were going to run out of uh, raw materials. We thought we were going to shut down for about two weeks, and we paid, at that time, we probably had 615 employees. We paid 615 employees 100% of their salary. Good for you. That's so awesome. We thought it was going to last for two weeks. It ended up lasting seven weeks, and we continued to pay 100% of their salaries. Um, Says a lot. That speaks volumes. Yeah, that's one of the greatest things, you know, about this company. And, I mean, there's so many unique things here, Chad. We got got families that work here. You know, we got 
aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. We just celebrated a lady that works here in our factory's 50th year two weeks ago. Wow. And she has no thoughts of retirement. She oh, said, cool. I love it here. I don't have anything else I want to do more than be here. This is my family. And she is the third one that I know of that's been here that had been here over 50 years. Wow. So we got a lot of, we call it a big family. Uh, we do have a lot of new people now because of having to start second shifts and stuff. But uh, for the most part, average 10 to 20 years is our average employee here. So awesome. Great company, great leader, obviously. And I guess, you know, you're not we have a lot of great leaders. Well, you know, I'm a strong believer nobody can do anything by themselves. And if you're not very smart, you surround yourself with smart people. And I'm smart enough to do that. Um, oh, good. So Me too. Here that I can trust and, um, you know, that I know that have the same beliefs that I do. And that's quality and customer service. And that's what we focus on. I love it. Do you have any plans of being in Fort Worth, I think on November 17th or 18th for the George Strait concert at Dickey's Arena? Uh, probably not. Dang it. I was hoping I to see know. you there. I'll be there on the 18th. Are you? Yeah. Well, call me. Are you going to come in just that day or? No, I'm coming in the day before. Okay. Well, call me and let's get something set up where we can come at least tour this factory. How far is that from Fort Worth? 45 minutes an hour, just depending oh, on. I, all right, consider it done. I'll I'll touch base with you in, in your office and, and figure out how to get that scheduled and come in on the 17th. Yeah. That'd be great. I don't I don't know what my schedule is that far. I know I know there's plans, but I just don't know what they are yet. <laughs> well, I hope you can make hopefully you can go. The king. Wait, no. He's the king. He's the king. You know he is, and he's been with us ever since he started. God, and you know what our back when he was singing the fireman. Yeah, you know what our contract is? probably a handshake and not never probably never been anything in writing and and he just takes care of you and you guys take care of him that's exactly what it is at one time in the very beginning there was a contract and i think it was like a two or three year contract and once it expired which was at the beginning of his career um it's never changed funny story there was a one of the presidents about four before me looked and saw we didn't have a contract with george so he called Irv Wolsey, George's manager, and told him, he said, you know, I, I think we need to get a contract. Well, he said, well, let me talk to George. So a couple of weeks went by, and they connected again. And, and Irv says to this president, he said, uh, George's words were, why do you want to screw up a good thing? And it's been that way ever since. That is so awesome. You know, it's so synonymous with him because – I, I'm a huge fan and I have been for a long time. I don't recognize him without it. Like when he's wearing his baseball hat, I don't really don't recognize him when he's not in the black, when he's not in his black hat. Yeah. I just don't. Or his, yeah. or his straw. I mean, he's, that's who he is. It was funny. You know, he's such a like <clears throat> cool guy. We, we did a photo shoot with him around 15 and um, Mary Jane, our marketing director, told George, she said, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we just had the best year in the history of our company. And he looked at me and he goes, what, what do you think caused that? And I said, you, and he looked at me like, what? 
Pastor George, I don't know if you know how big an influence you have on the Western wear industry. I said, you know, every day people walk into Western stores saying, I want a George Strait hat. And he is the only guy up until recently that, you know, people walked in and said they knew exactly what they wanted. They wanted a George Strait hat. Now we have Cody Johnson and we do have people walking in asking for Cody Johnson hats. Um, so up until then, you know, Jason Aldean, they asked for Jason Aldean's. We'd make a palm leaf type hat for Jason and stuff. But uh, for the most part, it's always been George. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the world without him and his hat. Like I'm talking all the way back to growing up with my mom and dad, listening to him all the way back in the early 80s when Unwound came out and all of his, I mean, every, I mean, the guy's just, no, I don't think there'll ever be another one of him. I mean, 62 number one hits and, and yeah. you, 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 you go to a George Strait concert and he literally just barely moves muscle during the entire show. There's no catwalk. There's no swinging from ropes. There's no fireworks. It's him, his band, a steel guitar, him and his acoustic and his cowboy hat. And it sounds just like you're listening to the CD. Like that's how clean that guy is. He's so good and talented, like amazing. Years ago when I first started and I told you earlier that I opened up a store in Oklahoma city with our past owner, uh, when he, and uh, so we had a grand opening and George was playing in Oklahoma City. So I had a George Strait lookalike contest. And these guys <laughs> came in that day for the grand opening and, you know, had their guitars and they actually sang and stuff. Well, towards the end of that night, uh, that evening before George started, this older couple walks in the store. Well, of course, I tried to visit with everybody that came in. So I walked up to them and I was visiting with them. And I said, are y'all going to see George tonight? And they said, oh, yeah, we love George Strait. They said, but our son's going to be better. And I'm thinking that their son was one of the people that was there that day. And I said, oh, really? Of course, you you know, y'all always hear stuff like that. And I said, oh, really? I said, who's your son? And they said, well, you don't know him yet, but he he jumps around on stage and he's got all these packs and different things. Well, it was Garth Brooks' mom and dad. <laughs> No way. Yeah. So anyway, that's just, you know, kind of how small this world is. And then I've become pretty good friends with Garth also. And when I'm first time I met him, I told him that story. And of course, both of them had passed and he, you could see tears coming down his cheeks and stuff. So it was a pretty cool story. I remember when I got the first Garth Brooks, uh, the very first, box set he ever did it was sometime in the 90s and the like one of the very first pages of the book that you could read you know back then ricky we actually like would open albums you know and like read up on lyrics and get the story right. now it's just you stream everything it's totally changed whether good or bad who knows but the first one of the first thing quotes i read was that garth brooks was nothing without george Strait. like he gave him all the credit for his career yeah yeah, yeah. incredible influence to so many people and he's i mean he's the best ever he just for him not to be on country music radio right now, and I'm talking, I'm talking today's country, like the yeah. the the Sirius XM, the Highway, should play a George Strait song every four to five songs. And to see him not be included in today's radio, it just blows my mind that that even like Music City has moved on past George Strait to the point to where him and Jamie Johnson, who I love Jamie Johnson's music, wrote a song together called "Kicked Out of Country," and you can find it on YouTube. And it's just like nuts to me that that you don't hear George Strait on on 
I mean, you can listen to Prime and, and hear a George Strait song, but he's he should be on he should be having number one hits today. He's oh, that yeah. good, that so yeah. good. Well, man, I, I Ricky yeah, Bowen, I appreciate it so much uh, you coming on here. I know you're busy, and congratulations on the leadership role, the success, what you're building there with your team. I know that you give a, a lot of people credit, but you too deserve credit because what an awesome line of uh, family of brands, and just just happy to have you on and happy to be part of the family. Well, we live it every day, so that's our motto. Yep, I love it. You wear a hat every day, and I love wearing the hat. And we uh, we're getting ready to hit the road, and we'll be in eighteen different states filming our TV shows over the next seven months. And uh, Resist All comes right along with us. We got our Helomatics in the trailer, our ropes, and I mean, we're throwing down with this, who's ever in camp with us. You know, we got a lot of country singers that that join us in camp and and other walks of life, military, whoever it is, and we're always having roping challenges. So uh, can't sure. wait to get out there and get back at it. Well, if I can ever help you, let me know. I will be in touch about that November visit, and I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Ricky Bolin, the Hatco Company president. And uh, I mean, what can I say? Resist All. I'm wearing one right now. Another episode of Resist All Roundup right here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. And I, uh, you know, that guy Irv that you mentioned, Mr. Ricky, George's manager, has a bar in Nashville. I believe he's still part owner or owner in Losers. I was in there in 2008, and I was watching the house band, and I looked behind them, and there's this sign on the wall that says, this life ain't for everybody. And today, you can still go into Losers and buy a T-shirt that says that on the back. Well, I I said... I love that. So I trademarked it. I, I called my, my intellectual property attorney like a day later. I said, I want to try to trademark this for TV, for radio, whatever it is. And I got the trademark. And that's how this podcast was born, was off of Irv's Bar Losers in Midtown Nashville, Tennessee. So that's just a little uh, trivia for you there. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. This life ain't for everybody, which uh, it turned in, it's turning into something special for us. But Mr. Ricky, thank you so much for being here. Right. I'll be in touch. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Getting up down in back of the shoots Makes it rise and burn He's got his spurs on the heels of his boots He's at the point of no return Climbing over that shoot gate He settles down inside The tension's rising, but he can't Satisfied, hooked on his second ride. Hooked on his second ride.